Good morning, Sherwood Baptist Church. What a delight it is to uh, join with you, if even uh, in this way, although I've got good news. We're through with our COVID shots. The next time we see you, God willing, uh, we won't have an out-of-body experience. We'll be right there. Lord willing, Diane and I will be with you the 14th. Now, next Sunday, Charles Lowry. You want to be ready for him, of course. And then the following week is D-Now Weekend. My gracious, how you want to be praying and preparing for that wonderful and important time in the life of our students. And so uh, I also want to remind you, through all of this, we are constantly praying about Meet the Need. And you'll hear about that in every one of the services. You've gotten some written information about that. And Diane and I, are, we're coming in on what we believe is God's plan for us and our own participation in that. So I know you're bound to be praying about it. And of course, just to add something else to our prayer list, please put Brother Michael and Terry, the family, right at the top of your prayer list. Would you do that? And uh, maybe you want to drop them a note and let them know that you're praying for them. But the main thing is to just keep them there in your prayer. Uh, be steady in that, that this will be a time of real recovery, uh, recuperation, uh, perhaps is a better word for it, a time of gaining strength. And I know that, uh, that they will appreciate that very, very much. All right, now turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And I've been so excited about this study. Um, every year, as you know, God gives me a verse or a passage for the year, has since 1972. And during that year, I seek to just swim in that verse. And, and so I've had the privilege of taking you swimming with me, uh, so to speak, over the last several weeks as we've looked at verses 4 through 9. This is my passage for, for this year. And I have fallen in love with this passage all over again. Now, we have given it a general theme, steady in your storm. All of us have storms in life. And uh, so how do we remain steady in this storm? Uh, receiving from the Lord all that he wants us to have, reflecting to the world all that, that they need to see, and coming out on the other side, rejoicing and victorious. How can we do that? Well, we've seen in these verses, as we've sort of plotted through them Sunday after Sunday, that there are some, some words, some key words, some exhortations in these words which will help us. The first one is rejoice. Paul says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. The second word is the word reflect. Paul says in verse 5, as he writes there to the believers in Philippi from a Roman prison, he says, let your gentle spirit be known to everybody. Let them see you're filled with the Spirit. The Lord is near, or the Lord is in the room. And then the third word there we see in verse 6 is the word request. Be anxious for nothing, he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And we've seen this is a, the, the heart of everything that we do, entering in to this wonderful time of communion with the Lord. And then in verse 7, the key word, the word is receive. And there we read that the, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will keep our hearts and our minds 
in Christ Jesus. God will set a watch guard of peace around us, and uh, he will remind us from time to time when we are getting out of uh, the arena where we ought to be, we ought to be staying. He'll take away that peace and send us right back into his arms. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this morning, we're going to look at verse 8. So you have your Bible open to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and we're going to be thinking about this word, the word restrict. Restrict. Now, we don't like words like restrict because um, nobody likes to be hemmed in, but the reality is if we're going to reach for the things that are important, we're going to have to restrict ourselves from the things that are unimportant. And so here's a passage of scripture that tells us about the important things in life. And honestly, in order to do what we are exhorted to do in this passage of scripture, it'll take up 24 hours a day. I, there's not time to do anything else. So let's see what the Apostle Paul says in this wonderful passage of scripture, verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4. He says, finally, brothers. Now, let me just stop. Someone said, what does it mean when a preacher says finally? And someone else said, well, it means nothing at our church. Well, <laughs> I hope that's not true here. But uh, the Apostle Paul, we've, we've read this before. If you're familiar with Philippians in uh, chapter 3, uh, which is the way we've outlined Paul's letter. In chapter 3, Paul starts off that chapter with finally brethren. You think, okay, he's about to finish. But then in the inimitable Pauline fashion, he uh, begins to deal with other things that the Holy Spirit's putting on his heart. So now he's come back, chapter 4, verse 8. He says, okay, now let's get, let's get back to what I wanted to talk with you about. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and there it means gracious, whatever is of good repute, has a good reputation associated with it. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And we're going to see the force of that in just a few moments. He said, these are the things you need to be giving yourself to, and as I said, that's going to keep you pretty busy right there. You're going to have to draw some lines of restriction in your life. So I want to, I want to give you three exhortations that surface out of this passage of Scripture, and uh, I think you will love the end result of what the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to do in Philippians 4, verse 8. And we are praying that God, would, by his Holy Spirit, would just open our eyes to the truths of his word in the next few moments. First of all, I want to encourage you to respect the power in your thoughts. Paul says, now, brothers, there's something I need to talk to you about. And he's talking about their thoughts. Think on these things, he says. Thoughts are incredibly powerful. Uh, folks talk about the, uh, you used to, you read, and I think still probably, I haven't seen one recently, but if you picked up a, a copy of Reader's Digest, you would see it pays to increase your word power. What are words? Words are thoughts. They are concepts. It's the way we describe our thoughts in words. We think 
in words. So he says, it pays to increase your word power. Thoughts are incredibly powerful. They're the, the seed from which everything else in our life grows, our thoughts. And this becomes especially true when, as the Apostle Paul says, we put on the mind of Christ, and only a believer in Christ can do this. We have the mind of Christ. And so let's just think about the power of our thoughts just for a few moments. First of all, thoughts, the scripture tells us itself, are the, are, they're the seat of our character. You see that down in your notes this morning. You may want to write that in the margin of your Bible. My thoughts, you might say, are the seat of my character. What, is, uh, what does the scripture say in Proverbs chapter 23, uh, verse 7? It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's who that man is. Now, you may not be who you think you are, but I promise you this. You are what you think about all the time. That's who you are. As a man thinks in his heart, that's what that man really is. Jesus, uh, Jesus refined this over the New Testament where he began talking about the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, he said let me give you an example here. You read in the Sermon on the Mount, don't commit adultery. And you guys are so hooked to the letter of the law uh, that you have defined that and what that means. But I want to tell you that a man who is adulterous in his thoughts is an adulterer just as much as if he went out and committed the act. I register that on that man's character, the Lord is saying, the moment he has the conception, the idea, I would, I would like to do that, or I, I wonder what that would be like. And so you are what you think about, and that is just the truth. It's the, the bottom line. It is, the, it is the, the, the seat of your character. Secondly, it's the source of your conduct. Our Lord Jesus himself said that when a man talks, he talks out of the abundance of his heart. He speaks out of what's down deep in his heart. And so it's a source of your actions, your thoughts. That's where, that's where all of that happens. Sometimes a person says, well, I wasn't thinking when I did that in order to describe something that was, that was perhaps rude. Well, yeah, he or she was thinking. Maybe, maybe she was thinking about herself and not about the friend with whom she was visiting, but, but she was thinking. It's the, it's the, our conduct emanates from our thoughts. They are incredibly powerful, and we're going to see how to, to utilize what the Lord has for us, but I just, I just want to tell you something. Uh, if, if your idea is that it doesn't make any difference what you contemplate, doesn't make any difference what you look at and muse about for a while. Does, that, that makes no difference what you read or what you see or what you pull up on the computer or what you watch in a dark room on a, on a television late at night. It doesn't, you know, all of that, all of that is powerful. All of that is doing something. I, um, I, I had a man uh, sit in my office and this, I'm going to tell you what he said um, because it's so typical of what I've heard others say, men and women. Uh, his, his family life was a shambles. He had uh, ultimately confessed to being unfaithful to his wife. And he said to me, Brother Tom, he said, I was so surprised that I did this because I'm not an unfaithful man. Well, 
Y yes, he is an unfaithful man. And it shouldn't surprise him that he did it. Uh, what he's surprised at is that in spite of his best efforts to keep anyone from knowing that that's what kind of a man he was in his heart, in spite of those best efforts, the truth finally came to the service. He said, this was just an impulsive act. I just, and I said, no, no, this, this act was a result of dozens, hundreds of little poor decisions made in your heart before the actual event took place. You see, our thoughts, folks, our thoughts are incredibly powerful. And we need to respect the power that is in our thoughts, our thinking. And the Bible goes to great lengths to, to, to show us how we can order our thoughts in a godly fashion and the results is a, a godly life. But you begin by just waking up the power that as a man thinks in his heart, that's what he is. It's out of the abundance of what's in your heart, said the Lord Jesus, that you talk. In fact, that you do, you do anything. Uh, my mother used to say, well, what a, what a man talks about a little, he thinks about a lot. Well, that's true. So we're talking here about respecting the incredible power of our thoughts. Now let's go to the second word here, and that is the word restrict. Restrict. We're going to have to restrict the parameters of our thought. The parameters, the fence, or the, the borderline around our thoughts. We're going, to have to, we're going to have to draw some borders. And on the outside of that border will be things that are unimportant and probably in many instances, ungodly or impure. That's, that's going to be outside that boundary line. And inside are going to be those things which are, which are important. And uh, as I said, I know we don't like this word restrict, but that's, that's, that's how I want you to see this concept. Um, when my mother was a, a little girl, uh, the farmhouse where her mom and dad and 11 children lived the farmhouse caught on fire one day and uh, burned to the ground. There they were out in the country down in the southern central part of Arkansas. And um, I think some debris had gone up the chimney and landed on the, the wood shake roof and, and the house caught fire. Well, in, in the frantic activity that, that followed, uh, some of the boys who were there in, in the house, they were carrying out furniture and and uh, books and and clothes and and uh, but but some of the younger boys and and some of the younger girls uh, there were four girls and seven boys some of the younger girls they never they didn't ever think about it they they had they just had in their mind uh, some vague notion and they were watching their brothers and sisters and so they started grabbing things one of my aunts who was my my mother's older sister grabbed a dishpan full of water and ran out the back door of the house and ran all the way up to the wagon shed and put that pail, a pan of dishwater in the wagon shed. Now, what, what was she thinking or what was she not thinking? Well, one thing's for sure, she wasn't restricting her thoughts to things that were helpful. Although later, later on, maybe they uh, gave her the job of washing the dishes. I don't know. Another one of my mother's sisters told me that um, 
she had her some some uh, wedding items in a in a chest and and this was you know just uh, something that was very dear to her and she was going to use them when she got got married and the first thing that happened in her mind was uh, I've got to save that and so she picked it up and it was so heavy she had to set it back down and start dragging it and she drug it to the door couldn't get it out the door and that's where it sat as everybody else in the house had to step over it to take other items out of the house to save them. Just poor, poor thinking. Now, when we go through our life day by day, we are constantly faced with these choices. What do we choose? Do we, how do we choose to spend our time? How do we choose to spend our money? How do I make decisions about what I watch on television or at a motion picture theater? How do I decide the, the, the nature of the people that I'm going to spend my time with? Um, what's important to me? You see, we are constantly making choices. And the Apostle Paul says, now it's going to involve some restriction here. But I want to give you a list of the things that you ought to be focused upon. Now, what does he say here? Whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is right, the word there means just, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely or gracious, whatsoever has good reputation, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, these are the things you are to focus your thoughts upon. Because a man becomes what he thinks about. A woman becomes what she thinks about. Now that, as I said, that list of, of eight qualities is enough to keep us occupied. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, that's where you are to focus your thoughts. Now, where do we, uh, what kind of an arena makes it possible to, to leave off the dead wood out there and restrict our thoughts to these things that are true and honorable and pure and holy, excellent, of good reputation. What, what, what kind of an arena? Where, where should we live? Well, I want to suggest three uh, that come to mind immediately. First of all, God's Word. God's Word, thy Word, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's what uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 105, and that wonderful chapter in the Psalms, longest chapter in the Bible, every verse of which speaks about the Bible. Uh, so we want to focus on the Bible. The Bible is filled, we'll see in just a few moments, with God's precepts, which is a word for guidance. It's filled with God's guidance. And so we, are, we can find these, this kind of thinking in the Word of God. We can find warnings regarding false thinking in the Word of God. Secondly, we'll receive it from what I want to call godly counsel. Now, this could be people in your church, like your pastor, your Sunday school teacher. It could be folks that you go to school with who give you godly counsel. It 
can become some person that you've chosen as a mentor and you know this person walks with God and he gives you or she gives you godly counsel. I have been blessed over the years with a number of wonderful godly men who have been mentors of mine. And I've gone to them repeatedly when I have, when I have needed counsel. And uh, so God's word is important. Godly counsel is important. And godly companions um, you know, I've known people who want to live a Christian life, but they, and they know they ought to witness, and I know we ought to witness, and I do witness faithfully. But <clears throat> when it comes to seeking companionship, uh, good friends, close friends, you ought to seek godly companions. I've said before that, you know, we become uh, what uh, we become the, the, what we read in books, and we become the people that we spend our time with. We become like them in an amazing way. And so God's word, godly counsel, godly companions. And um, if you've got those notes, uh, I just, I'd made this note. This sounds like a really good ad for participating faithfully in a local church, doesn't it? Because there you can find all three of those things. That's not the only place. But I would say your chances of hearing God's word, receiving godly counsel, and uh, having godly companions is going to be heightened if you spend time in this one organism that the Lord gave believers, and that is the church family. There's a reason for that, folks. Uh, God knows we need uh, encouragement, especially as we see the scripture tells us, especially as we see the day of the Lord approaching. We need to be encouraging one another in, uh, in godly living. I made a uh, decision years ago. As I said, I, I'm sort of a direct kind of a person when it comes to counsel, so don't come to me and if you want to spend a long time. <laughs> and, and if you, I, I, uh, because I don't think, I don't believe really, that that is, that is one of the gifts that God has given me, yet it is one of the tasks that the Lord over the years has assigned me, and I want, think he wants me to faithfully fulfill that. So uh, I decided years ago, after just, just viewing the congregation and what was happening in the congregation I was pastoring, I decided that if someone was going to come to me for counsel, I was going to... Uh, I was going to ask them this question. First of all, <clears throat> I need to know for sure they're, they're a member of the church. If they weren't, they need to go to their own pastor. And if they said, well, I, you know, we, our pastor, we don't, I would say, well, that may be problematic. So why don't you have him write me a letter and tell me that he, is, he would like for me to counsel you? Uh, that actually, on occasion or two, people did that. But I, I wanted them to be in church. And the second thing I said was, it's foolish of me to sit here in this office and conduct a private worship service for you every week if you're unwilling to attend the one thing that God has given us, which is a meeting of the local fellowship to encourage one another in the Lord. Well, I'm not much into church attendance. Well, that explains a whole lot, right? And it's, it's not gonna, you're not gonna hear one thing from me that's any different um, in this office than what you would hear in a worship service. And so, as someone said, preaching sometimes is just loud counseling, and counseling is soft preaching. It doesn't, it doesn't vary. And so, in addition to that, I said, I, you need to be in a Bible study, in a Sunday school class. Now, why did I say that? Because, over the years, 
I discovered <clears throat> that people who did that, who were faithfully in worship service, had godly friends, in a Bible study, sought to apply the disciplines of the life, were faithful in their church, I discovered they somehow seemed to avoid some of the problems that were bringing others into my office for counsel. Now, I'm not saying there's no, no role for that. I mean, we, in, in Sherwood, we have counselors, people who are called to do that, and you ought to run to them when you have an issue that is, uh, is on your heart and you need good godly counsel. Well, there are innumerable people there in that church who are gifted at doing that, and I would urge you to do that. But let me just say, so many of the issues that a person faces they would never face, or at least they would face successfully, if they just practiced the disciplines of spending time in God's Word and in prayer every day, faithful attendance in a local church and stewardship and participation in a local church and seeking out godly companionship. And so the second thing that we see here is that, that we are to, we're to restrict the parameters of our thoughts. Let's keep them inside this fence. Over here we have a fence, fence that's labeled true. Another one over here, honorable. Another right, pure, lovely, good reputation, excellent, worthy of praise. Let's restrict our thoughts and our time and our energies to things that have that, those definitions in them, all right? Now, there's a third thing that I want to say here, and this is right out of the scripture, and that is that we are to recall and to review God's precepts with our, with our thoughts, with our thinking, to recall them and to review. We might think of that as memorization and meditation. Dwell on these things. That's what the scripture says. Dwell. The word that is used here in the Greek language is the same, has the same root as the word from which we get our English word logic. Settle down. Think, it mean, it actually, it means to think and think over. Settle down and dwell. Ponder. Some of you may have the word ponder there in the scripture. Ponder what? These things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good report. Uh, things that are excellent, things that are worthy of praise. Spend your time thinking about those things. So memorize scripture. And by the way, um, at the age of 76, I'm still, uh, I'm doing my best. I'm pedaling hard. Uh, I don't memorize scripture maybe as readily as I used to, but I've discovered that scripture memory efforts are a good way to help your memory. And so I would encourage you to, to memorize. And if you don't memorize, then when you lie down at, at night and your hearts are worried and fretful, how are you going to meditate on the scripture? And that, that meditation, that word means it's rumination, literally, like a ch cow chews its cud, you know, and, and over and over and over again. It's not a necessarily a pretty sight, but it's a productive sight. And so we are to take the word of God that we've memorized to recall it and then to review it over and over again so it becomes part of our thought. The Bible says that we ought to think of the word of the Lord when we go to bed at night and be thinking of the word of God when we wake up in the morning. And we ought, in fact, you can read in the Old Testament, we ought to have it so 
around us that everywhere we turn, we see the Word of God. And so that's the theme here in this scripture. Whatever things, and he has this description, dwell on these things. Recall them and review them. And what you'll find in them are precepts, which means guidance. God will begin to, to guide you. Psalm 1 says that uh, the man who is blessed, he, he does, he's, here's the blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of God, of the ungodly, stands in the seat of the center, scornful, sits in the seat of the scorners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate both day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted not by a river, by rivers of water. Bears fruit in due season. Whatever it does, is he will prosper. And so the word of God will become like what? The word of God will become like a like an anchor for your faith. He's planted. I'm going to give you an illustration of that in just a few moments. But then the word of God activates your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God about the Lord Jesus Christ. All those people of great faith in Hebrews chapter 11 took God at his word. How can you take God at his word if you don't even know what his word says? And so as you spend time in the word of God, you are anchoring your soul. You are, you are activating your faith. And finally, you begin to realize bit by bit as the Holy Spirit begins to write this across your heart. This word of God can be trusted in the dark as well as in the light. You know, they say to a pilot, when you, when you find yourself in your aircraft in a storm, trust what? Trust your instruments. Don't trust your sense of whether you're going down or up or to this side or to that side. Don't trust your senses because they can fool you when you can't see the, the, the uh, arena that's around you. You're in the clouds. You're in a storm. Trust your instruments. And what happens when we, when we immerse ourselves in the Word of God? We restrict. We've got time, and we restrict that time to the things of God, and we leave off the things that are foolish that would clamor for our time, clamor for our attention, clamor for our thoughts, clamor for our money, all of these things out there, and we've restricted those so that we could give ourselves to what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely of good repute and excellent and worthy of praise. And when we do that, we'll discover that we can fly by, by that instrument. We can, we, in the middle of a storm, in the storms of life, we can, we can make progress. It anchors our soul. It activates our faith. You can't obey what you don't know. But you can obey what you do know. And so he says, give yourself to this. Dwell on these things. What will happen? You'll discover and when you come to the storm, God's Spirit will prompt your thoughts and tell you how to behave. Some years ago, uh, God led me to pastor a wonderful, wonderful church. And, and I arrived at sort of an auspicious occasion in that church's history because uh, prior to, to those days in our nation's history, 
I mean, things had been on a roll. The economy was moving and, and uh, churches were building buildings and they were selling bonds to other church members, other people, uh, which is a total violation in most instances just because of the interest charge of what the scripture is, but the church could get ready money, you know, and uh, put put it off. The interest was a little higher, and so they sold, sold, uh, sold bonds and, and built these buildings, and then suddenly the economy crashed, and I had the privilege of arriving uh, coincidentally with that. 32 banks in our area went belly up, and uh, 9% of our population left. We didn't gain 9%, we lost 9% of our population. And uh, right in the middle of all of this stuff, and uh, we found ourselves upside down as a church family, and I just assumed the role of being a pastor. I mean, I just showed up. First week I was there, I received notice of two lawsuits for each one for over a million, oh, for a million dollars actually. Uh, against me, because now we had a pastor at the church and we knew who to sue. And I was frantic. And even in my preaching, because it was sort of forthright, I began to, not sort of, it was forthright, I began addressing various issues, moral issues, and uh, found that there were people of different stripes morally who didn't appreciate what I was addressing. And I had threats, death threats. As a matter of fact, one time leaving the house, I received a, a fault call on my car phone saying, you know, if you don't, uh, we, we know you just left the house, we know who's there. And man, you talk about putting fear in your life, in your heart. And I would go speak and there'd be attorneys on the front row. Well, you know, your church owes us money. Uh, dozens of millions of dollars, <laughs> 20, over 23 million as a matter of fact, all, all together. And we want to collect. Uh, we, want to, we need to collect now. My bondholder, my people, there were 2,000 bondholders are in trouble. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And I remember going home and throwing myself on the floor and saying, God, what shall I do? And the Lord took me to a verse of scripture. Not, not any place else. I had other friends, I got other counsel, but the Lord took me to a verse of scripture he said, for thou Lord will bless the righteous with favor. You will encompass him as with a shield. And over the ensuing years, in spite of making hard, hard decisions, God blessed and with favor, he encompassed me as with a shield. Oh, folks, let's walk in the truths of Philippians 4, 8. These things, let's think on them. And we'll discover that God will give us the gift of faith and his blessing. Father in heaven, open our eyes to the truths of this passage. Lead us to apply it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.